you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Hello, everyone. Today, I am joined by my good friend, Mike Murgatroyd, who has served as a mentor, guide, and inspiration on my own sustainable ambition journey. And Mike is one of my favorite people to talk to about creating a fulfilling and meaningful life and how one's vocation fits into doing that. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kathy. It's a great honor to be with you this afternoon. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful you agreed to be on to share your own journey and wisdom with us. I think people are going to get a lot out of this conversation. And before we jump in, let me first properly introduce you. So Mike Murgatroyd is currently the co-founder and president of Van Evolve, which brings the very best in adventure vans and adventure van components to the U.S. So you are ready for adventure anytime and anywhere. So if you are one of those people who got uh, through the pandemic, uh, the bug to get out on the road, you got to look for Mike and Van Evolve. And prior to starting his entrepreneurial ventures, Mike spent his career in CPG with companies such as P&G, Clorox, and White Wave Foods. He was also a brand management consultant specializing in innovation for companies such as Beyond Meat, Earthbound Farm, and Good Belly. Mike and I had the pleasure of working together at Clorox and both hail from our undergraduate alma mater, the University of Virginia. And Mike is also a husband and proud father of two fabulous boys. So with that, I'd love to have you start, Mike, by just so we start at the beginning of your career and just have a little bit of context, I wanted you to share where you grew up, what you majored in at UVA, and what your first job was and how you selected that at the time. Sure thing. So I grew up in the Washington, D.C. suburbs in Reston, Virginia, which was just the second planned community in the country. So we could call that a Stepfordville type town. But even though that might sound like it would make for a cookie cutter upbringing, it was it was anything but it was real fertile ground to, to grow up and explore and try things. And from there, uh, I went to actually first to Northwestern and then to University of Virginia, and I studied undergraduate business. So there I studied finance, international business, and a minor in economics. So it was all business all the time. And uh, really what precipitated that path for me uh, it, it sounds really trite and silly when I say it now, but uh, I was interested in Wall Street. Um, I'd watched that 80s movie, Wall Street, which isn't full of moral positivity, but for some reason it captured my imagination. So in high school, I wrote papers about Michael Milliken, the junk bond king. 
I engaged in garage sale arbitrage prior to that, and I knew I wanted to be in finance, or at least I thought I did at the time. So uh, out of school, I went for one of the Wall Street jobs, and I went to Bear Stearns as a junior investment banker. So that was the start of, I guess, how it all began. Yeah, wow. I just want to go back. Wait, so what is garage sale arbitrage? <laughs> that means you go around to the neighbors early and you smile your nice smile because you're a young, charming kid and you buy things on the cheap. And then you turn around and you set up your table and you sell those same items at a higher price. So you might say, where are the ethics in that? Uh, you know, as a, as a youngster, maybe you're not thinking about that. But I guess the point is I've always been fascinated with arbitrage, you know, buying low, selling high, going to one place where there's a competitive advantage in terms of acquisition, and then going to another place where there's a competitive advantage in terms of selling. Um, so you know, that's something that's always caught my imagination, whether it's was selling candy at school or garage sale arbitrage. Yeah, I love that. I just didn't know if it was a, a term for something else or if it was what it sounded like, Mike. But what <laughs> what that brings up for me, even in your response to that, and we'll probably we'll probably come back to both of these themes. I just want to call it out here that to me that's was a signal of your early entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit kind of coming through. But it's very interesting that you also just noted in that, like, well, what are the ethics in that? And so the fact that you bring that up is not surprised knowing you so well. <laughs> It's not, it's not surprising to me. So I'm sure that will continue to come up as part of the conversation. And I'm curious then, so you you then uh, went to business school after Bear Stearns and what prompted that next step in your journey? Sure thing. So after Bear Stearns, I actually went and I was a, a corporate development manager for a Fortune 500 company. I did that for just a year and meanwhile, Silicon Valley was just going off on the opposite coast as I was in New York City. And uh, I decided that, you know, as a young man, that's where you should go. It was a gold rush. And how many gold rushes happen in a person's lifetime? And I'd also gone cross country twice in vans, by the way, uh, just with my buddies during the summer. And I'd laid eyes on San Francisco, and to me, that was the promised land. I said to myself then that I would get back there. So I took two backpacks because I've always traveled with backpacks and I flew out there. I knew one person who lived west of the Mississippi and I just uh, began again and just got excited and into the swing of what was going on, all the energy that was going on over there. So I did that until we had the bubble burst in 1999. Um, and at that point, I traveled around the world again with those same backpacks. Uh, and I got a little stuck, you know? I, I had always had in my mind that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, and for whatever reason, the, I, I didn't burst down the door the moment sure didn't present itself to me. And so I thought I needed a bit of a fresh start. And for me, that was a business school. It was kind of a 
plan B. It was kind of a, a stage to kind of uh, launch a rebirth. Uh, and so, you know, as all those markets crumbled, instead of thriving, I found that I needed uh, something to hold on to. And, uh, you know, again, a way to relaunch. So that was business school, the decision to go to business school. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I used business school in a similar way in that it was pre the the bust or the boom, the boom and bust. I kind of came out during the boom, but I used it as a reset in some respects and also to kind of say, oh, okay, well, what do I really want to do next? If that wasn't the first path that I took out of undergrad wasn't, you know, quite where I wanted to land in the end, what might be next and how do I use business school to kind of put me on a different trajectory? And so how did you coming out of business school then, how did you end up, where did you come land first coming out of business school? And how did you take that shift then from, from finance to marketing say, and I think marketing was your next path, but how did you make that decision? And you said, you know, entrepreneurship didn't present itself. So you didn't go that way. What, what kind of took you towards the next step that you took coming out of business school. Sure. And, you know, entrepreneurship, I don't know if it it's its job to present itself to you. You know, I, I honestly think that you need to hustle and kick the door down. And I think my story is the story of uh, buying down my risk in the world, which is also has tension with being an entrepreneur, right? Because you got to throw caution to the wind a lot of times if you want to be an entrepreneur. But at that point in my life, I felt like I had to bring that risk down a little bit. But that that's not exactly answering answering your question. Um, so I, uh, I did go into uh, consumer packaged goods. And so in business school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to go back into finance. And, and why was that? Uh, at, at the heart of it, you know, maybe it's always been a tractor beam to find to, to be this scrappy type entrepreneur that I am. And, uh, you know, I found that I was able to uh, have a lot of these cool professional challenges in life uh, that, that did present themselves to me. So, so, like I said, I believe you have to kick down the door to entrepreneurship. But what presented themselves to me felt like they were really attractive professional jobs and in, in industries. Um, so, in, but the tension in it is that I would always get bored no matter how exciting that job might be to others or you know, even potentially prestigious to some. I, I would always get bored with those jobs in call it two to four years, always, always. So I knew I didn't want to go back into finance. Uh, uh, why was that? Is it because I was always going to feel that way with any kind of prof professional job? Possibly. Uh, was it because working 80 hours a week and seeing what that lifestyle brought, it really made me think twice? Definitely partly that as well. You know, it, for me, lifestyle design is very important. So a 360-degree look at what do I need to do to be, to be happy? Uh, what is the balance of it all? You know, balance being the thing that really seems to be important to, to make me tick. So I said, you know, I felt like an unbalanced life to me. I want to try something different. And there was a guy who was a, a year below me in, in banking and he was working at Procter and Gamble and I just happened to call him up or he was in an event, something like that. We talked and, and he told me about brand management. 
And he said, you know, you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur in a way working within a company, um, running different businesses in different categories and launching products and having to have the full skill set, the full bag to be able to run a business. And uh, in my kind of uh, risk managing yet entrepreneurial mind, I said, well, hey, that sounds uh, interesting. I got to give that a try. So that year I, I got the Procter & Gamble internship. And, you know, these were the lean years um, in the big downturn uh, after that com bubble. And then after that, I decided that I'd, I still had always San Francisco and California in my mind. So the opportunity to go to Clorox was one that was an easy one for me to want to take. Um, it was this, this new brand management track that I was excited to take, and it combines the Bay Area. So it felt perfect. Um, and that's that's kind of where we cross paths, Kathy. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's great. And I love hearing the path and the story. And I do want to come back to, we're going to probably come back to a couple of themes that you brought up in, in your responses. And I do want to go ahead and, and go back to this idea of risk that you were bringing up, because it's really interesting, Mike, to hear you describe your path and the fact that you you knew you wanted to do something entrepreneurial. You were doing things entrepreneurial even as a child. And but something was kind of getting in the way. And like you're saying, what you've learned now is you got to kind of kick down the door. And what's been interesting on the podcast when I've asked people what would you, what advice would you give your 20 year old self or people that are in their twenties right now and managing their careers? And it's fairly consistent that people say, will say, take more risk. And yet I also think that I'm learning that, that, that we may need to learn how to take risks all along the way and not just think that we can only do it when we're young. I recently interviewed Dory Clark, who has a new book out called The Long Game, and she borrows from the concept of Google on this idea of 20% time. And I liken that to, oh, wow, if we can take 20% of our time, if you will, and plant seeds and play with things all along the way, there's no reason why we can't be taking small risks, if you will, throughout our career. But bringing it back to you, Mike, I know you shared with me, there's this idea about taking good risk. And you also talked earlier about you felt the need earlier on in your career to buy down risk. So can you just talk to me a little bit more? I know that was a long preamble, but talk to us a little bit more about risk and how it kind of maybe have your perspective on it got in the way or how your shift, like what your experiences now have maybe led you to how you think about risk now. Sure. And as you describe it there, it almost sounds neurotic, but hey, we're all humans. Uh, and I'm talking about it in terms of in my mind, because it probably is a lot like a pinball game, right? And I guess there's a couple of things that get in the way for for me, and I can only talk to those, although I, you know, I'm sure lots of us share some of these things in common. One is I'm very analytical. I think about things a lot. And I, yes, I can be guilty of overthinking things. And when you overthink things, you, you probably overly consider risk. Whereas somebody who's more live in the moment, you know, I've been accused of being type A about being type B, um, doesn't think too hard and might just 
be willing to cavalierly jump into that risk. And, and I think that is a trait that serves a lot of entrepreneurs well. You know, I do think you can still be an analytical uh, entrepreneur as well, um, but you might be like me where you have conflicts in, in, in your own mind and you need to learn how to deal with that and digest it. The other thing that was interesting is as I was growing up, uh, I was by myself a lot. You know, I, I had a great middle class existence with a lot of friends and a great school and, and all that. But I still felt like it was all on my shoulders in terms of uh, no safety net. And, and, you know, maybe I'm sure in terms of the spectrum of safety nets, you know, I was, I, I was solidly in the middle, if not more than that, but, but I had it in my mind that there was no backstop. And, and I thought about that from a young age, you know, I, I, I did our grocery shopping as soon as I had my driver's license and, you know, doing the laundry and the cooking and, well, my parents were gone a lot, um, weeks at a time sometimes. And so I had that in the back of my mind. And that was kind of the buy down risk. It was, hey, I, I need to ensure I can make my way in the world. Uh, and again, those are huge tension points with being an entrepreneurship, with being an entrepreneur. So that was interesting. Yeah. And that that just was my my process and, and you know, who I, I am and how it came to be, uh, which probably put myself in, in, in a lot of situations where I was doing jobs where I was learning a lot and being around great people. But it probably ultimately wasn't where I should should be. So I like to look at those as building blocks towards getting more and more entrepreneurial. But, uh, you know, back to what advice would you give? Yeah, um, I think the capacity to take risk is much greater uh, when you're younger. But yes, you need to keep on maintaining it and cultivating it. it it's it's a practice. And yeah, I would be really interested to see what my 20 year old self would have been like had I been taking some of the even what some might think are minor risks now back then in my life. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll go with that cliche, which is, uh, but I will add to it based on your lead, understand what good risk is and embrace good risk. All risk is not created equally and risk is a fantastic part of the portfolio that allows you to live an extraordinary life, whatever that means to you. And if you don't embrace that good risk to you, again, it's subjective. Uh, you could still lead that extraordinary life, but it's going to be arguably much more difficult to do so. Mm. You need to kick that door down at least a little bit, if not a lot. So can you say a little bit more about what is good risk? You know, I think good risk is, again, this is my analytical self, right? I think, okay, I, I purposefully with life, um, Man needs something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. And those things should all be tied together. If they are, you're going to enjoy what you're doing on a meta level. And if you enjoy what you're doing, you're going to be doing your best. You're going to be able to grow the most, create the most, add the most to society. And so if a risk aligns with what those buckets are for you, right? If it ties to something you love and, and what you hope to do with your life and how you like to spend your time, 
it's probably a pretty good indicator clue that taking a risk in that realm lined up with those goals and objectives is a good thing to do. Again, I can't help being analytical, but that's just how I do it. Yeah, no, that's great. And what I think is really interesting, when I've talked with other entrepreneurs, it is so often that they actually will say that they are risk averse. Many entrepreneurs that I've either listened to, been talking to myself or listened to on podcasts or other you know, venues where I get to hear them speak, they often say, I don't like risk. So I don't think you're alone in that, Mike. And I'm I wonder, have you, as you've moved more towards entrepreneurship, are there things you do for yourself? Perhaps it's aligning and making sure it's clear that this is a good risk for you. But there from an, from a business perspective or stepping into the entrepreneur, that entrepreneurial role. Are there things that you've learned work for you to help manage that risk taking and breaking down the door, as you have said? So this might go back to that earlier advice for the 20 something self. Okay. So you just cued it off to me in a little bit more concrete way. A, get smart. Okay. Do your homework. Look at the data, do all the different jobs, wear all the hats, then learn to trust your gut. The learning to trust your gut is my interface with risk. And once I know that I've analytically, logically, rationally built my skill set to the best of my ability, you know, nothing's 100%, but, you know, to a, to a great level for me, then I'm going to trust my gut now. Maybe that's something as you're younger, you, you know, either you over trust your gut or you under trust your gut. Maybe some get it just right. And so that's the relationship with risk. Okay. So you get to know the industry, the skill sets, and then trust that you are capable, that you're passionate in this area, that you're studied. And if you follow that gut and trust, I think you can do great things. Mm, mm, That's great. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, in this sense of really do the analytics and get smart, do the work so that you can trust your instincts and your gut and what it's saying to you is what I'm kind of taking away. Yes, yeah, and that doesn't have to be, oh, I need to go to school for two, four, six, eight years. It doesn't have to be that at all. Lots of ways to skin that cat and lots of time durations as well. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes you don't have the time to do that. And then you still need to have the conviction to trust your gut and, and you know not get tied up. As, as long as you feel like you have a gut, if you don't, maybe that's a signal to you in that particular moment or that issue or that realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then I wanted to also come back to something you were talking about, Mike, and I might come at this with a few different questions along the way in this part of the conversation, but you mentioned lifestyle design and how important that is. And I know you are quite intentional around this. And I want to start here actually thinking about it from a career perspective first, where at some point you had created a 10-year plan and you were going to retire early. (laughs) And that was kind of an, and it might also have been associated with risk and de-risking if you you might speak to that, but what prompted you to create that plan? Uh, I, I think that was fear. 
You know, I think it was fear. I'd gotten in the the thick of these professional jobs, which, uh, you know, some people, uh, which work great for some people. And, you know, some people would be glad to have, and I was really glad to have those opportunities. Um, But again, the tension always gnawed at me that it wasn't quite right. You know, the process, the procedure, uh, the, uh, the rigor to make a decision. Uh, again, I'm all about doing the right homework and the right analysis, but uh, you know, I wanted to move more fluidly. I, I would tend to get uh, really passionate about things, and, and you know, if, if that didn't always play well in a corporate environment. So, you know, back to that topic, I, I, I was dissatisfied, and so I thought I would use my analytical rigor to come up with a plan and execute it in order to remove myself from that situation, rather than just taking some risk on and maybe going back to what some of my animal instincts and who I really was at my core were, which was to be a scrappy entrepreneur. And so I undertook this idea uh, again, uh, the de-risked version to maybe do what I thought I, to be free, which I thought was what I thought was what I wanted. But when you're in the thick of, a professional career, sometimes it's hard to see through and understand what you really want to grasp at. It's easier to say what you don't want to do than what you want to do. And so my reaction was to come up with a plan and follow it. Um, the interesting thing in doing that is you really start to blunt your ability to take on risk because you follow a plan for so long. And when you do that, you stop maybe seeing all the opportunities that are, that are around you because you're no longer taking those opportunities. You're staying single-minded and focused. And that is at odds with taking risk and which is at, at odds with seeing the opportunities that occur in life. And so much of that is, is life, is what makes it, you know, the random chance meeting uh, or opportunity and where that leads you, you know, after all, they say we only use, what is it, like 14 to 18% of our brains, whatever it is. And isn't it funny that when we are trying to go after something, do something, it feels like a lot of the time, life presents those opportunities all around us. Well, maybe they're all around us all the time, and this isn't revolutionary thinking, and you just see them when you're ready, when your aperture is open. Mm. Mm. So that plan was interesting and it was a great learning, but I actually had to undig out of that and learn to take even a little bit more risk again afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm understanding correctly, so, you know, we work together at Clorox, so I, I know what that was like for you and working in a corporate environment, it wasn't fully satisfying for you. So if I'm understanding correctly, you're like, Hey, let me just make the money I need to make so I can be done with this environment and then go and do something else. And I'm curious, even before I go a little bit further, like what did you think you were going to do after that 10 year plan? Every time I think that I can reach a plateau and cruise, I get slapped in the face with how dumb that is for me. You know, part of it, it took me a while to figure out that part of who I am and was is just uh, somebody who needed constant growth, constant growth. You know, you and I talk about this, Kathy, that uh, we're not satisfied with the day if it's not 
chock full or we can point to something clear that helped us grow or that we learned. And, you know, I guess I'm an addict in that way. And, and I think that's a healthy addiction for me. It's what I need. And so that plan, I don't know if it had a pot of, of call it spiritual gold at the end of the rainbow. It, it was more about just getting out. It was just like, I, it was so busy and so all encompassing to be in some of those jobs that I don't know if I had a clear idea of what I wanted to do next. I just knew I didn't want to do that. Uh, and I just knew that I wanted to make sure, you know, going back to this, not having a backstop safety net, that, that I didn't need to worry too, too much about that part of the equation. So, you know, again, trying to de-risk it, uh, and, and, you know, where risk and healthy risk and, and the growth where that comes from is, is probably what I needed to feast on. Mm. And so if you, as you look back on it now, and you're on the other side of that, what, counsel might you have given yourself back at that time? Would it have been like, pay attention to the different opportunities that are presenting themselves, like, or just release yourself from this plan or be willing to take a little bit more risk here, Mike? Like what, how do you think about it now on the other side? You know, maybe if I had just taken a break and gotten some distance from everything and thought about it, um, that would have helped. So I think taking pauses in life uh, that are true pauses because there can always be a lot bearing down on us that allows even a pause to not be a a, a true pause, whether that be professional uh, or medical or something in the family, or, you you know, I I remember that I didn't go study abroad because of uh, somebody that I, you know, a romantic interest. Uh, You know, there's always a distraction, right? And, And so true pause, that could have been it. Um, the courage to kind of leave what maybe lots of folks thought was a fantastic place to be and and try something different. You know, that idea that there's so much pressure when you go through this business school route, you know, for some and for me to craft a resume that doesn't have gaps, that has the right jobs and the right stops and, and everything. And that's, um, it can lead to a fulfilling life for some, but for me, that was a real clenched up way to be. And, and you're trying to adhere to a script that was made for many, but not for me, uh, was difficult because then I, I wasn't paying heed to the true opportunities and maybe where I could really spread my wings. And so really it was probably maybe doing what more was expected of me uh, in, within the path pathways that I chose rather than maybe having enough courage to again, take that risk or take the space to see what risks I should have taken. So, you know, it was interesting. It's, it's a story of triangulation. And if you're a, you know, a loyal person, uh, not just a loyal person. Well, you, I, I guess I, I, I don't, I don't like to give up easily, which is a great trait of an entrepreneur. But it could also mean that sometimes in some of these earlier phases, I didn't move on fast enough. Mm. Um, even in some of the later phases, don't move on fast enough. Yeah, so interesting, and I think one of so many things that I hear from others too in terms of 
be, you know, when, when some of us want to step off a traditional path, it really does take a lot of courage. You're going against that social norm and you're writing your own script. And what I hear you describing as well is really getting comfortable with honoring who you are and truly stepping into that in, in so many different ways. Um, so I really appreciate that. And I think it's true how powerful pauses can be. And I think when we don't give ourselves the space and the openness to pause and reflect, it's often hard to see where there are opportunities or what that next step might be or what's truly calling for you from your heart. So um, I appreciate you really sharing that and reflecting on it. Um, I did also, Mike, want to come back from there to this whole idea of lifestyle design. So you mentioned, I asked about the 10-year plan, and then you also talked earlier about the balance of it all. And I know you have a family, you are an entrepreneur, which is demanding. But when you think about this life design and kind of structuring a more holistic life, like it's not all about your work for you. So how do you think about that? And and I know you're philosophical and intentional about that. Hopefully that's coming through for others in this conversation. So when you think about lifestyle design, what does that look like for you? Yeah, you know, it's just striving to really understand what makes me tick, not only just for the sheer fact of making me happy, but I think that's the best way to be productive and to contribute, uh, you know, not just to me and my family and my friends, but to the greater society. Um, and, and so, you know, I told you I was an investment banker in the beginning, so I, I spent a lot of time on Excel, right, um, 80 hours a week sometimes. And so I, I, I don't think in zeros and ones, but I think in Excel spreadsheets. And so everything seems to be, it can be linear, although again, that's at odds sometimes with entrepreneurship. But uh, I, so I just think, okay, well, let me, let me really think about what makes me tick. And you know, there's a lot that, that goes into that. And, and there's more than career that goes into that, but it's all tied together. And you know, I, I mentioned that, that framework of a man needs something to love, do, and, and hope for. So, you, you, you know, you need to do, need something to do with your, your body and your mind. And uh, you know, what are those? It just shouldn't be anything. You know, it, it needs to be tied to what you love to do. So you, you, you love people and you love activities. Um, and, and so if, I really got to the heart of who I was and what activities and people I loved and why I loved those things, then you know, it, it falls to logic what kinds of activities I should spend my time doing, okay? I hope we all need to have those larger goals or it's good for many people too, because it, you know, again, that's that guiding star. And, and when you have something you're going for, you, it helps me see the opportunities that do crop up in life. We talked about that pause, that clarity, what have you. So when I think in this fashion and I have those things I'm hoping for in the short term and the long term, then it helps me be aware of when an opportunity is presenting itself and for me to jump on that. And, and I can be intentional, as you say. So all those three buckets, they tie together really well. Um, and, and they tie them to my interests and what I love and what I hope to accomplish and that enables me to really purposely focus on lifestyle design 
And again, that encompasses goals and people and activities. And you know, I don't really, I mean, I don't necessarily separate the, the career from the activities. I view life to be a series of projects. And I think we should be jumping into projects all the time. And, and you know, whether those are professional or personal, your work is a project. They're a series of projects. And whether I'm working for myself or someone else, I'm getting paid, I'm, getting, I'm not getting paid. Aren't these all work? So this idea of career for me is just how I spend my time. I want to be doing projects that I enjoy. I want to be growing in them. And I really just want to geek out doing these projects with people who like to geek out doing them as well. And then I think things are really fulfilling, really productive, and really helpful for everybody. Uh, I just love so much of what you shared, Mike. And I think that if I, if you'll allow me, like some of what I'm hearing is, are some of the things that I think are, I just believe are so important for people to really think about as they're shaping their lives and careers. And you start by say, you started by sharing how in my own language, I would say, you really need to get to know yourself and really understand those things that you do love and those things that you say that you, you want to, you know, be and do. And there, um, you know, and then it's like you can be intentional about how you're going to structure your time and your life and those projects, as you're saying, that you're going to take on. And many people on the podcast have talked about this idea of it helps you. And this is where the intentionality comes in. It helps you know, what are you going to say yes to and what are you going to say no to? And when people do struggle with those boundary settings, and I know I struggle with it when when you're ambitious, it's a lot of things come up that you want to do. There are a lot of projects you might want to do, but are, is that a project you really want to say yes to or no to? And do they align to these different aspects of your life that really fill you up and that you really love? And so I, I appreciate how, how you're talking about that in this context of helping people be intentional, because I do think for better or worse, <laughs> you know, you can either jump into life and let the current take you, or you can have some discipline and some intentionality to it. So you're shaping it in the way that you really want it to be shaped. Yeah, I, I think that's that's dead on. And, and I agree with you. I and mean, I think it all goes back just to put a bow on it. What were those things where you really lost track of time? What were those activities? What were those behaviors? Even as a kid, you know, starting from when you were a kid. And, and oftentimes, those are the strongest clues. And if that leads all the way to intentionality, and then hopefully at the end of all of it, to a life well-lived uh, with the people that you want to spend that time with, then that's the goal. That that's the goal. It, it, it is to spend our time and not pass it. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Spend our time, not pass it. That's so wonderful. Well, before we wrap up, Mike, I, I want to just ask you this one question, and it's coming at it a slightly different way, but sustainable ambition for me is both about, well, how do we stretch ourselves? And we've talked a lot about how you stretch yourself. And then there's, how do you also sustain yourself? And again, you are an entrepreneur, not being, being an entrepreneur is demanding. You also are a very active father of two young boys. You're a wonderful husband. Like, how do you get all that into your life and do so in a way that sustains yourself? 
you know, for me, uh, I, I need all those things. That's the balance of it all, like we've talked about. That's what gives me energy. So the, um, the family gives me the energy to keep on working on, on all the projects. The projects give me the energy to then go and really appreciate the family. And, and the balance all works together and feeds together. I, I need to keep growing. And without those really rich areas of inspiration and subject matter, I'd have to reinvent it. You know, not to say that, that it couldn't, but that's, that balance is what works really well for me and feeds upon one another. Um, you know, leaves you at your best and your freshest as you go from one to another. And it's not just, they're not discreet. They work together. Mm, mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think maybe people would be better served if they actually saw that they really are um, symbiotic and that they work together and, and don't have to be uh, divergent in, in terms of helping to shape a f- true, fulfilling whole life. So that's so great, Mike. I've I knew I would love talking with you and I have, Uh, we're almost out of time. So I just, a final question is just, would you have a final piece of advice you leave our listeners with? I just say, have the courage to go out there and create an extraordinary life for yourself and those that you love, uh, whatever that is to you, because extraordinary is different to everybody else. It's it's not this idea uh, of, elite or, or what have you, it it is what's really honoring you, what is enabling you to grow, what is enabling you to be your best for you, for your friends, your family, and for the world as a whole. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you, Mike, for being here. If people want to find you or keep in touch, so we just send them to Van Evolve. Is that where we should have them search for you? That sounds great. So vanevolve.com would be great. And I've really enjoyed speaking with you and, and being with you in this context here today. Wonderful. Thank you again, Mike. I always, as I said, love being in conversation with you and I appreciate you sharing your journey with everyone listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.